Hey, everybody. Hope y'all are good this morning. Um, I don't ever want us to become so um, so programmed that we don't leave room for God to move, right? Um, I felt in my heart to call Eric and Mr. Butch up um, because I, I, I sensed that God wanted to confirm some things if to nobody else, to myself, um, about this morning. And a couple of things that they said that really resonated in my heart was when Mr. Butch began to talk about um, God crying out for us, like that he wants us, that he wants us and, and, and even longs for us to, to be dependent upon him. Um, I, I believe that's what God has always wanted is for us just to lean into him, to be dependent on him, to, to give our lives to him and yield ourselves to him, not so that he can be a, 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 some type of tyrant over our lives, but to enter into this relationship of love and, and mercy and grace that we truly become who we were created to be, um, people in fellowship and relationship with him who are um, growing and and, and, and filling the earth with his glory, that he would be worshipped the way he deserves to be worshipped. And, um, and just how God meets us in the place of our need. The challenge I want to issue us today as we've been going through these different growth areas, we've talked about how we need to grow in knowing God. We talked about how we need to grow into fullness in Christ. Today, we're going to talk a little about how we need to grow into the body of Christ, okay? Um, and, and the challenge in this today, I think, and the greatest thing that plagues the church, and we're going to get into this, is that we have this strong sense of independence. We live with a strong sense of independence. Our sinful nature draws us continually. The world around us, it draws us continually to this place of independence rather than dependence on God. And the heart of this message today is that we, um, not just as individuals, but we as a church, we as the church outside of these walls need to come to a place of repentance for our independence. And so I want to uh, go back to Joshua 1. We're going to start there, then we're going to flip over to Matthew chapter 9. And uh, I'm not going to read all of the verses here in Joshua chapter 1, but I, I want to go back to some. We've read these verses the last two weeks, um, looking at different aspects of how we gain traction and today, I want to talk about how we gain traction as the body of Christ because I believe this happens. We gain traction as the body of Christ when we become dependent on the Lord. We begin to trust him and step and follow him and lean into him. But Joshua 1, 1 says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River. I want you to see that right there. You and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them. And he says specifically to the Israelites. 
He goes on and tells them the, how much land he's going to give them. He tells them that he'll be with them just as he was with Moses. He tells them no one will stand against them. He tells them three times to be strong and courageous, to not let the word depart from his lips. Joshua goes and begins to tell the officers, get the provisions ready. Three days from now, we're going to cross in. Then we come to verse 12, and he says, it says, But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, The Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. He says, Your wives and your children and your livestock may stay in the land that the Lord gave you east of the Jordan. So these people are going to settle. The rest of the folks are going to go west into the promised land. These folks are going to settle to the east of the Jordan. And so he's telling them, let your wives, your children, your livestock, they stay here. He says, but you go in. He says, but all your fighting men ready for battle must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You're to help them until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you. And until they have taken possession, listen to that, they have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and what occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan uh, towards the sunrise. Now, let's jump over, way over, into Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 14. Now, this is coming right after Jesus has called Matthew or Levi, the tax collector, to come and follow him. Uh, he went and he ate dinner at Matthew's house with a lot of people who were sinners. And, and the Pharisees, these religious leaders, they were getting all worked up about this because to, to dine with them was really to accept them, to touch these um, sinners and these unclean people would have made Jesus uh, seen as unclean. And so they get offended by this. Jesus tells them he didn't come for the healthy. Um, he said, I come for the sick, right? And we all ought to be glad for that. In verse 14, it says this, Then John's disciples, so the Pharisees are kind of getting riled up. Some of John's disciples, John the Baptist, as he was referring to, his disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. He's trying to help them see. Like, look, the one who's, who's to come is here. This is the time for celebration. Then in verse 16, he says, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will be pulled away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. How many of you in your life, you have um, seen a pattern in some way or another? Um, I've got some notes here. There they are. Um, how many of you, you've seen this pattern in your life one way or another to where uh, you, you kind of begin uh, to recognize, I need to do something different or I want to do something different. I want my life to go a little bit of a different direction or a lot of a different direction. But it kind of feels like every time you start to climb out, you just slip right back down in. Anybody ever been there? Right? It's kind of like if you're like me and, and you spend a lot of times in the woods and, and I hunt and things, um, a lot of times I, 
Uh, not a lot of times, but there's times when I get stuck, right? And, and, and it seems like it's never like where it's just hopeless. But I'll get to this place where I'll start to pull out of this rut and then I just slip back in. And then I start to pull out again and just slip back in. And so I'm just like, just about to blow the truck up, right? Trying to get out of this rut. And and that's kind of how a lot of us live our lives is, is we try to climb out, we fall back in. I think this is true not just of our individual lives, but it's also true if we look at the history of mankind. Specifically, if we look at the history of the Israelites, these people who were chosen by God to be his treasured possession, um, these holy, this holy people that God has chosen. If we look at the history of the church, this is especially true. We see this, that many times the Israelites, they begin to go in the right direction, but then something would come along and it would drag them back in. We see with the church that there have been times of revival where God is moving and people are, are, are seeking after him. But then uh, inevitably we begin to fall back into this rut that ultimately is independence from him, but I believe there are things that lead us into that place of independence. I want you to see in Joshua chapter 1 this morning that that very clearly we talked about this. This was the beginning of a new movement um, with the Israelites, a movement that was intended to happen earlier, but because of sin and rebellion, it's now about to take place. It's very clear, listen to this, that, that God has established this land and this place for the Israelites. It was for a unique group of people to go in, and we read these verses, that they were to go in and take the land. They were to occupy the land. And we know from other scripture, they weren't just to go take it and occupy it. They were to transform it. We read throughout the New Testament or the Old Testament that these, this unique, peculiar, set-apart, holy people were there to go in and take this land, to occupy it, and to transform it by pulling down the idols, by pulling down these, what they call the Asherah poles, these wooden um, idols that, that, that were worshipped as the, for the God of Asherah. All of these different idols, he says, destroy their altars, destroy their idols. He's saying, transform this land. I'm giving you this land not so you can just have the milk and honey. I'm giving you this land so that you can go in and transform it for my glory. All right? And so you've got a peculiar people, a set-apart people, a different people, a unique people who they are there now to go in and transform this land to the glory of God. Fast forward to to the church, the birth of the church. We see with the church that God has set apart a people, a people that we know from Scripture is to be a unique, set apart, consecrated, sanctified, different people, so much so that we are called strangers in this land, so much so that the Bible tells us our citizenship is no longer of this world. Our citizenship is of heaven, so much so that Jesus preached a whole message called the Sermon on the Mount, which could have been a bunch of different messages put together, but we know it as the Sermon on the Mount. And in that, their their mindset and their thinking was so messed up. We looked at this a few weeks ago, that he started so much of those teachings with, you have heard it said, and then he would say, but truly I tell you, they have said, 
But truly, I tell you, he's trying to get them to think differently. Why? Because they were not people of the world. They were now people of the kingdom of God. The whole time, throughout the ages, God has been trying to carve out for himself a unique, peculiar, different people who will take ground, occupy ground, and transform ground for his glory. That is the purpose of the church. That is the identity of the church. Unique people of God, transformed by the the power of Christ, the church given birth by the Spirit as we see in Acts chapter 2, and now living in this world, going and carrying the gospel, not a sword of metal, but a sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which is the good news of God, so that people's lives and hearts and minds can be transformed. So we take this ground, occupy this ground, and this ground is then transformed to the glory of God. God wants a group of people who their hearts are totally, 100% given to him for those purposes. If we look last week, we talked about this fullness in Jesus. I told you this, it was becoming fully integrated into the new creation I've already become. Becoming fully integrated into the new creation. Becoming what I've already become. The already, not yet. I'm already righteous, but I'm becoming righteous in Christ. I'm growing into the righteousness that he's already given. Listen, as a church, this is what we do when we grow into the body of Christ. We, become, we are becoming fully integrated into the new community of people we have already become. By faith, we have become one with Christ. But now as we grow to maturity, we are being integrated, pulled together as one body, growing into the body of Christ, growing into who he has already made us by faith. We begin to grow into that. Let me give you some things that I believe the church is and what we should be growing into. You can write these down. The first thing is that the church is a single new community. Just like by faith, we're made a new creation. Listen, by faith, we now have been made a new community, very distinct from the world. Not looking down on the world, set apart for God's glory. The second thing I would tell you about the church is that we're joined together by faith in Jesus. We have become one with Christ and one with each other so that now we literally, literally, not just a figurative thing, we literally have become the body of Christ on earth. The church is the body of Christ, the people of God, the hands and feet of Jesus on the earth, loving one another, which is actually one of those that the church should be known for its love for one another so that when people look at the tangible representation of Jesus on the earth, they see our love for one another. And 1 John tells us that in this way, God becomes tangible. We're a people who the the church has been birthed by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God at work has birthed us. We've been empowered to renew the earth and glorify the Father. So we've been joined together by faith, birthed by the power of the Holy Spirit and empowered to renew the earth to the glory of the Father. We're to be known for our love for one another. And listen to this one. Completely dependent on God for all things. Because the only way that the other ones happen 
is if we are a people who are completely dependent on God for all things. We see in Joshua, we see in the New Testament, God carving out a people for himself, a peculiar people to transform the earth to bring it back to a place of glory for him. But we get, and I read this to you in Matthew chapter nine, we see that Jesus kind of gives them a warning of, of, of in some ways. He says, don't sew a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. It's gonna tear. That, 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 that unshrunk cloth is gonna shrink over time and it's gonna tear that old cloth because that old cloth is not gonna give with it. It's just going to tear. It's going to make it worse than it was before. He says, don't put wine into wine, old, new wine into old wineskins. Why? The new wine is going to ferment. It's going to give off um, um, gases as it ferments, and those gases are going to expand. And that old wineskin, it's stuck in its ways. It's stuck in its old ways. And, and when that gas begins to expand, as that wine ferments, those wineskins are going to burst. The wineskin's going to be ruined, and the, the wine is going to be ruined as well. Jesus is telling them, listen, he's telling them, it very, very clearly, this is what he's saying. He's saying, I did not come to sow a little patch onto what you already know. I've come to establish something that is completely new. He, he's not saying that, that I've come uh, to give you something a little different that you can stuff within your old paradigm, your old way of thinking, your old worldview. Listen, guys, listen. He's saying, look, I've come to give you something that is so new and so powerful that if you try to stuff it into your understanding of God, it's not gonna work. It's gonna destroy it. But we, as the church, we consistently just try to take and sow a little patch of Christ on us. We, we try to stuff God into our own way of thinking, our own way of doing things. We plan out services with no room for God. We go through our day with no room for God. We, we, we come together and, and we do our tradition with no, no really even heart worship of God. In many cases. And here's the thing I realize. Those garments, those old garments, those old wineskins, through the ages, they have taken a place in, in different times, different places, different contexts. But those old wineskins and those old garments are the very same thing through the ages. Does that make sense? Listen, let me try to explain that better. The, 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 the entrappings of this pharisaical mindset, the entrappings, these things that end up leaving us in the rut, they may take place in different times. They may take place in, in different locations, but they are very much the same throughout the ages. Let me go through some of these, and, and maybe it'll help you see this. One of the first, and, and these really build on each other, one of the first old garments, one of the first old wineskins that we see consistently throughout the ages 
is that we will operate by works and works will ultimately replace faith in God. Inevitably, this is where we go. Our sinful nature wants to draw us to this place. Listen, uh, go to Galatians chapter two, flip to the right. Go all the way over to Galatians chapter two. I want you to see this. Paul combated this like crazy. The Apostle Paul writing to the churches, trying to keep them from going back to workspace salvation and to live in faith in God. He says this to them in chapter two of Galatians, verse 16. He says, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may not that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. He tells them, listen, if you are circumcised and, and circumcision was a symbol of, uh, of this works-based re, uh, faith, this covenant with God that was based on keeping the law. He says, if you're circumcised, Christ has no value for you. But there's something in our sinful nature that always draws us towards works and away from faith or trust and, 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 and believe in God to do what we cannot do for ourselves. Let me tell you what that is. That is our self-justification. We wanna make ourselves right, independent of God because we have to humble ourselves to say, God, I cannot do this on my own. We as the church, we cannot do this on our own. God, we as a church can only go through services and tradition that is lifeless and dead unless we are truly grabbing hold of you and, and, and dependent upon you to move in our midst. We like the thought of being able to save ourselves. But listen, we, we like the thought of being able to work our way to something. I can work my way to God. Why is that appealing to me? Because then he's not that much better than me. And so I just want to work. I want to work. But let me tell you this. God has no interest, church, in our hands apart from our hearts. If he does not have our hearts, then we, listen, if he does not have our hearts, then we have nothing. That is the whole point. We, church, need to be a people who are desperate for him. And here's the thing. I can't put this desperation in you. I can't even put it in me. But I can go to the, the living God and I can say, Father, would you create in me a hunger for you? Would you create in me a, a thirst for you, God? We'll always lean to a place on our own of works rather than faith. The second thing that'll happen that flows out of that, tradition will replace worship. Tradition will replace worship. Now, many times we worship through tradition, but the end goal is not the tradition. Y'all listen to this. The end goal is not the tradition. The end goal is worshiping him. But too many times the tradition Coming on Sunday becomes the end and not a means to the end. Why do we gather? It's not to go through the tradition. It's to come in and worship him. It's to come in and be desperate and, 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 and Lord, thank you that you are here. God, move in our midst. We need you, God. Our self-justification 
It always begins to work through tradition from the sense that if I do this tradition, if I just do these things, then I'll be right with God and I've made myself right with God. And, and all of these things we're talking about, they all come back to a place of control. I can control this. I can do this. I, I don't have to be dependent on anything or anybody. I can do this myself. And so we end up, guys, with dead, lifeless religion that has the same form or tradition of godly. That, that God intended, but it denies any power or ability to change a person. It denies any power or ability to reveal itself to the world. It denies any power or ability to do what God created us to do and the reason he established the church in the first place. And so we just become miserable, burdened people instead of people who are filled with the life of the life giver. Worship then, listen, tradition and worship just becomes a part of our self-justification. Our lips proclaim him, but our hearts are far from him. Another of these garments and wineskins through the ages is that inevitably a man, a person, will then become our mediator. Will then become our mediator. We see it through the Old Testament. That the Israelites wanted Moses to go speak to God. They wanted Joshua to go between them and God. When we get to the, um, the, the New Testament, the Pharisees and, and the priests are still going to God for the people and on behalf of the people. Uh, the people are just kind of left outside uh, in the temple while one priest one time a year goes into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement to make a sacrifice for sin. And listen, we still live that way too much. Listen, we just took the Old Testament system, brought it into the church so that now the pastor goes to God for us. So that the pastor is the one who mediates for us. He hears God. So I go do my tradition on Sunday to hear what God has to say to me. But then, because it's just tradition that I go through, I never think about it again. It has no application to my life. It might stir me while he's up there red-faced sweating and yelling. But the minute I walk out of here, because my heart is dead to the things of God, I forget it. So that when someone asks me at Fordham's farmhouse what I, he talked about I don't know he said something about his kid being crazy because we're not dependent we we listen we want to fix our plate keeping with the food analogy we want to fix our plate, and just like we do when we go sit down at the table, we ask God to bless our plate instead of just bringing our life, our plate to him and saying, God, you put what you want on my plate because I know that what you want to put there is what's best for me, and it's what's best for your kingdom, and it's what brings you glory. But our hearts are more concerned with God blessing what we want or what we think we need than it is truly worshiping him and being dependent upon him. And so eventually what happens is tradition replaces worship. Tradition becomes lifeless. Tradition and my relationship with God becomes dead. And so what I end up doing is going, you know what? He seems kind of excited about God. He must be hearing God. Let me go listen to him, but I'm not gonna lift a finger to grow closer to God myself because I've lost the revelation of who he is and what he's really done for me. 
Another garment and wineskin through the ages that builds off of that is then we begin to live in our own understandings. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 warns us against this. Don't lean on your own understanding, but acknowledge and trust him and all his way. He will direct your path. We know that verse. You probably got it on something in your house. But it's not how we live. Like so many things with God, we mentally assent to it, but it's not how we live. When man becomes our mediator, tradition takes place of worship, works takes place of faith. We lose our awe of God. We no longer have this relationship with God. We don't hear God speak to our hearts. We don't hear God speak through his word. We don't hear God speak through community. We just go through the tradition and the motion. And so what ends up happening is we have no other resource but to live according to our own understanding. Where did our understanding come from? This broken world outside of us. The last one, this garment and wineskin through the ages, this paradigm, this mindset, this way of thinking, this worldview. And this is where it really gets to, guys. We begin to operate in our own ability, completely independent of God. But Jesus in John chapter 15 tells us what that gets us. It gets us absolutely nothing. It advances the kingdom zero. He tells us very clearly. He says in verse four, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Apart from him, we can do nothing. In him, we can do all things, all that he created us to do. But we begin to live independently leaning on our own understanding, trusting what we can create. How can we create a better environment? How can we create a a more catchy look? How can we create uh, whatever, whatever, whatever? When I can tell you this, the guy who was preaching when I got saved, he was a missionary to Africa, had been a hog farmer over in Sylvania, became a missionary to Africa. would go over and preach in the, in the Ivory Coast. And he had a translator, and he would come back. He would tell me about it as we, would, we continued to have a relationship after I got saved. And he said, I can't remember his translator's name, but he said he, he taught like he had swallowed a green pine cone. He had that accent. And he said one, one day or one, one time he, come, he came over to the United States and they were riding around, and he said they just came by this old tobacco barn. It's like one of these old, rundown, dilapidated, just old tobacco barn. And he said his translator looked, and he said, Brother John, that would make a great church. And John said, Brother, you couldn't get anybody in America to come to that place for church. And he said, Brother John, if the Holy Spirit is there, they will come. Listen, if we would put our focus on crying out to God, calling on his name, more so than crafting services or, or, or just going through life in my own way, doing my own thing in my own understanding, but realizing that we are really a bunch of broken, 
people in a broken world that my understanding doesn't do very much for me. Maybe I should try something different, and that's crying out for God's understanding, that is crying out for his presence, realizing that if he is present, and this is how I've always looked at church, if he's here, people will come. And, and I just, I just believe that. I think that's the greatest marketing tool ever, that the God of the universe is showing up and doing stuff. And if that's not happening, then why are we showing up anyway? But guys, listen, we've got to come to a place of being hungry and thirsty, dependent, a body of people who cry out to God, the God that, as Mr. Butch said, wants to move and meet us in our place of need, wants to transform us so we can transform the world, wants to work in us powerfully and show himself effective. But we've got to step in faith on the promises, crying out to him, knowing that if we will cry out to him, he's always going to move. When we look at this, guys, we've talked about growing and knowing God, growing in the fullness of Christ. And and listen, we we talked about the importance of the word and and of worship and of prayer. And this is no different. We've got to be a people that is dependent upon the word of God. Listen, here's what we've got to do. And, and, and I understand uh, this, this is probably something that, that would be challenged even in churches today. But we've got to come to a belief and an understanding if we really want to see God do what God can do, that God is the God of the Bible, not the God of our experience. I saw this thing in the news this week where, and some of y'all probably saw it too, where you see this mutant goat that was born in India. Anybody see this? It was like a deformed, had a deformed face, really messed up looking goat. And that goat had been declared an avatar of a God and was being worshiped in India. And part of us goes, that's crazy. But what should really do is break our hearts. To really break our hearts that the God of creation is being neglected, being pushed away for this idol, this God that's been created, this goat, right, that is no God. But that's their experience. That's what their experience has taught them. This is what we do. This is how we act. This is God. We've got to come to a place where we begin to Worship God as the God of the Bible, not the God of our experience. We pigeonhole God and put God in a box, and we don't take great steps of faith. And when I say great, I'm talking about stupid steps of faith. Not that we do stupid things. That's not what I'm saying. But that that steps of faith that when people don't realize we are led by God and that God is going to move, they look at us and go, you're stupid. The times we've seen God move the most in this church is when we did things that People, even people that were here went, I don't know about that. We begin to worship him for who he is. We begin to cry out to him like his word is true. That our life is found in him. We begin to pray to him and call on his name. 
And see, here's the greatest indictment of our independence from God, our, our attitude of independence, is the church's prayer life. That's the greatest indictment of our sin of independence, of our saying, God, we got this, is our prayer life. You want to know how dependent you are on God? How often do you call on his name? How much do we really go to him and pray to him? And, and listen, as a church, we need to repent of our independence. We need to humble ourselves before the living God and cry out to him, God, forgive us. Our eyes have been opened. We have had a second thought. This is repentance, a second accurate thought that is replaced, a first inaccurate thought. God, what we have realized and what our eyes have been opened to is the fact that we cannot live apart from you. We might exist apart from you working in us, but we cannot live apart from you. So God, we humble ourselves before you. Forgive us, God, for going our own way. Forgive us, God, for thinking we are so smart that we don't need you. Forgive us, God, that the last thing we turn to is prayer, that our words oftentimes are even. Well, I guess the only thing we can do now is pray. Forgive us that we don't turn to you first. James tells us in James 4, he says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and well. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Is this a message to condemn? Absolutely, 100% not. It is a message to shake us, to awaken us, to realize that, that going through the motions and traditions and just doing this, it, it's useless, it's pointless. But if we, as people, will humble ourselves, fall at the feet of God, fall at the feet of Christ, if we will truly recognize our need for him, and cry out to him, he will move in our midst. He will move in our midst. That's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to cry out to God at 6 o'clock. We're going to cry out to God. We're going to come before him and humble ourselves and thank him for his mercy and grace that covers our sin and ask him to move in our midst in powerful ways. We're going to continue that whole thought from this morning. God, we need you. I don't want you to come out of guilt. I don't want you to come because, well, he was kind of like saying we had to. No. I want you to come because you're hungry, 
because you're thirsty, because you want to see God move, because you're tired of church as usual. You're tired of the church being uh, uh, um, something that profanes the name of God instead of glorifying it. And I believe if we will repent of our sin, we will humble ourselves. God, he's going to move. Father, I thank you. Thank you that you meet us where we are. Thank you for your love for us, God. Even now, God, forgive us. Thank you, Father, that you are good, that you are faithful to forgive when we turn, Lord, from our wickedness. Forgive us of our independence. Create us to be this peculiar, unique body known for its love for each other, known, God, for its service to others, God, known for being a people in whom the living God moves and dwells. God, create us to be what you've already made us, God. Let us grow into that work in us that we would take steps of faith trusting you to be the God of the Bible, that we would worship you as the God of the Bible, that we would come to you, God, and pray as though you are truly the God of the Bible. Stir us by your spirit, God. Fan into flame what you have placed inside of us and draw out of us all you've put there. We love you, Lord. We praise you, God, right now. We need you, Lord. Oh, we need you. We need you, Lord. Oh, we need you. Amen. All right, guys. See you at six.